Hello, what's going on? Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I'm taller than you think. Today, we're talking about some high rock stuff. If you've been enjoying these high rock specific, kind of short form podcasts, shoot me a note. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Let me know if there's topics that you want to be covered. I'll make sure to follow me over on Instagram, uh, reinforce underscore running rich. If you're looking uh, to, to kind of chime in a little bit more on this conversation, let me know uh, what you like, what you don't like, and what's working. Got some good feedback on the last one, talking a lot about like kind of high, bro- <clears throat> high rocks from a zoomed out perspective of what's working in terms of training. Uh, today, I'm going to talk a little bit more about some specifics and why I've coming to to these kind of thoughts around it and just some different things I've, I've been thinking about in terms of training in general. And uh, so I think it's, it's just going to be an interesting way to kind of uh, get my thoughts out there and uh, just talking about what I've been cooking up in in the lab in terms of training and what I think uh, where I kind of see the training of this sport going. So that's what these little short ones are going to be about today. So <clears throat> First, I want to have some takeaways from the European Championships of High Rocks, and this isn't necessarily going to be what uh, what I think who's going to do well and what's going to happen when uh, or anything about the athletes. If you're interested in that type of conversation, make sure you check out Race Brain Podcast, where we're going to go through a deep dive of all this stuff and kind of talk about what this means in big picture from a competition sense. But I want to talk about more from a training sense, more of like what I'm observing and what. And what I think that means, and in particular on the women's side. So on the women's side, we saw the top four athletes of uh, top five athletes, let me say, uh, Lauren Weeks, uh, Michaela Norman, Meg Jacoby, then uh, Alondra Greenlee and Mirham Van Roer. And when I was looking at the the results and just kind of like thinking about, okay, what do these athletes have that that, that separates them, right? Like, where is it? Uh, th- what's like the common denominator um, among these athletes, and what what can we learn from that? And ultimately, the the thing that kind of is the most glaring, what sticks out the most, is the, the strength that these women have. Uh, these women are all very high level strength athletes who uh, some may have an endurance base, uh, a background, or more kind of put in uh, an endurance training block, or, or have turned into endurance tra- uh, endurance athletes via high rocks, but they're very strong. And this is starting to kind of be reoccurring when, even when I look back to, uh, um, to some previous performers and like w- what's happening into the sport, what's driving it forward so much. It seems to be the strength, the raw power, the raw strength of these, uh, athletes that are, are kind of separating from, from the rest of the pack. So I'm thinking that strength on the women's side is going to be a bigger factor than it is on the men's side. And there's definitely like a strength requirement on the men's side that needs to be met, uh, particularly from those who are coming from more of like an endurance background and don't have any of that. But for the most part, uh, the guys kind of walk in and they're, and they're strong enough and then, then it can be turned into more of a muscular endurance sport, then uh, that's just how many reps you can do before you get some level of fatigue in the actual muscle fibers. And I believe this is the case on the men's side over the women's, not, not, not for really any, the only thing I can really think of, right, is that the way culture has kind of looked at strength training for women over the course of the past, um, say, two to three decades. I mean, that's all the real experience that I could have, honestly, more like the last two decades, decade and a half of what what that really and just kind of like what has been accepted for 
well, not necessarily accepted, I guess that's not the right word, but more encouraged from, from like a popular culture standpoint and just from uh, a body image perspective. Um, so that, and just that it's, it just hasn't been accepted the same way that it has been on the men's side, right? Like the men on the men's side, when it was kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger came over and this is like in the eighties at this point, it's like, Oh, okay. Like strength training is a piece uh, that I could throw in for my physique. It's like, there's a physique that is I'm interested in learning how to accomplish and it seems to be accepted. <laughs> Other people seem to like this type of physique. Let me kind of dive into it. It isn't, it hasn't really kind of come around until maybe I would say the past five to eight years, five to 10 years, maybe. Uh, and that's even, that might even be a stretch, maybe five to 10. Um, I look at CrossFit as, as this, as a, a place where uh, strength training for women has really kind of been normalized. And the, you know, the aesthetic is one thing, and that's always something that is going to be a byproduct of uh, exercise and training in general, but just like the, the, how capable strength training makes a person and just the overall feeling of being strong, it's, it seems to be much more in the, in the mainstream now, but it's, it, it, that's years after the fact of where for men. So the, Men com- competing in this sport knew of, of weight training probably from a younger age. Uh, personally, I knew about it from like the time I was in, I don't know, middle school and was kind of encouraged to pursue something like that or not discouraged, I guess is a better way of saying it. There was not really much encouragement uh, in terms of strength training. And uh, I don't know if that's just like uh, my personal like upbringing and who I was surrounded by, but there wasn't, it wasn't discouraged where I feel like there could definitely have been some discouragement on uh, the female side of things. So Maybe that's why the men seem to, uh, or, or, or there's a larger volume of men where the strength numbers are all kind of, kind of line up at, to a certain point. Now it's just about strength endurance, your overall cardiovascular endurance, your output, all these different things that, that kind of play a factor to high rocks. Maybe that's why, why men have a bit of a head start. But like when we look at these women who are really at the top, they are very strong. Um, Lauren Weeks is a, came from a high level CrossFit background, um, among, among other things, you know, she did have some, some swimming in her background. Uh, she has some endurance pieces there, but, uh, she can deadlift over 300 pounds, right? <laughs> she is with some of the stronger strength numbers. I'm sure if there was a clean and jerk competition among, uh, high rocks athletes, she would win. Uh, Michaela Norman is currently on a, a, a CrossFit team that qualified for the CrossFit games. And to get to that level, any one of those athletes, is probably the best CrossFitter you've ever met <laughs> who make, who make it to a team. There's the, uh, what these athletes are capable of doing is very impressive. And I don't know her strength numbers, but just being able to be part of a team that qualifies to the games, I'm guessing her, her squat is in the mid high two hundreds and her deadlift is, uh, probably is definitely over 300. <laughs> like, even though, uh, like she seems to be more inclined for endurance and that's kind of how the teams work in, in, in CrossFit is like, you can kind of get different pieces of like, it, you can piece together a good team where like the, the, the individuals are more kind of generalists, but they're high level generalists all across the board. And on a team, you can have like more of a specialist who's really good at endurance, who's really good at weightlifting. And they just don't have it, the, the well-roundedness of, of a, um, individual athlete. But with that said, to get to the games, you're not, you can't get there without someone who can't, who who isn't going to lift a ton. Meg Jacoby, I personally know her, her squat is in the high two hundreds and her deadlift is uh, well over 300. So she's a very capable strength athlete. 
And just to kind of plug plug Meg here, uh, she has been writing some of my strength training. Uh, I wanted to see what she has been up to in the weight room. Um, we've been working together pretty close, and uh, um, the the strength training that that she puts together is is very high level. It's top notch, and and the lifting that she does is very aggressive, and it is to get strong, and that's what she's able to do, and she knows exactly how to do it. Um, another plug: we are working together in terms of a coaching capacity as well. So if you are, uh, if you're needing some sort of uh, individual programming, uh, Meg has a very, uh, a few, a few spots open. Uh, currently she has uh, two or three athletes now that she's working with and it's, she's like really making awesome progress. Um, the athletes are getting good results. And like I said, I'm, I'm on board with the strength side of things and she knows the deal. Her results are, are a byproduct of the training that she has put in and her training knowledge. So aside from that, so after that, Alondra Greenlee, uh, she's definitely a strength power athlete. Um, I would imagine, I don't know any of her numbers, but I'm, I'm sure they are uh, above, uh, I bet she can pull over 300 and, and high 280s. And Amir Amber, a high level individual CrossFit athlete who is also very, very strong. Um, then there may be a bit of a drop off in terms of what the strength pieces are. And really what, what is clear here is that the strength endurance doesn't do much without proper strength built there. So your base on, uh, for high rocks, for the strength side of things needs to be full on output, like how much you can lift, uh, and with reps under five and really being able to put on uh, to put up a ton of weight, not a ton of weight, but a lot of weight, you know what I'm saying? And this, this doesn't necessarily mean getting jacked, getting, getting bigger, getting more muscular. It just means getting stronger. Right. And, and, and being able to move weight. And once you have that each, each time, let's use the lunges, for example, right? Like every step that you take, if it is not as taxing for you to lunge that weight, to, to drop down and lift up with one single leg, and you're, you're not having to use as much muscle fiber, it's not firing, it's not fatiguing it as much, then you can start layering on this massive amounts of volume, which is ultimately what's going to get your, uh, your, your strength endurance at the highest point. I worry that we bang our heads against the strength endurance piece so often because the event is very, it's very much strength endurance, right? Like your legs will crap out on you or it's a, or it's a cardio, um, output, uh, VO two max type of equation that we're, we're just not quite there yet on the running side of things, or it's like a running skill thing. Those seem to be the, the three pieces that we can kind of look at what, what the highest level of athlete is are doing here. They're able to have a, uh, to withstand a high level of muscular endurance. They can put out at a high, le- at a ha- high heart rate with a high VO2 max, um, with high oxygen consumption with over things like the sleds and the rower and then just and the running and the ski and all that. And they can uh, work at uh, their cardiovascular endurance is very high. So it's very easy to kind of fall in that trap and be like, all right, I'm just going to do lunges, 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 wall balls, wall balls, wall balls, and never quite work on the strength where uh, it's kind of the opposite that we see on the running side of things. A lot of times runners are like intensity, intensity, intensity. Let's do 400, 200, 800s. Let's do this to get faster. I want to run faster to get faster. Really, they don't have that base of fitness underneath them from a, uh, like a, a, a cart, like a, a aerobic work, right? Zone two, easy stuff is really what's going to help you do more intensity and, and endurance is, is, usually uh, an equation of volume the more intensity you can do the 
better your outcome will be from the training over time, built up over progressively overloaded over time. So having this base of endurance, zone two stuff helps you recover, helps your heart work more efficiently, helps you, yeah, get, get, get blood, red blood cells to the areas they need to go. Without that, you will definitely plateau pretty quick. Again, it's kind of flipped on the strength side. You need to work on that really high intensity, high output stuff, and that's your base. And then that's when you need to layer on the strength endurance. So I think it is very advantageous for women in particular, for everybody really, to consistently work on their strength. Squat, deadlift, heavy, at least once a week, um, with those lifts, it's really not more is better unless some sort of variation or some sort of uh, uh, undulated progression with how much weight you're going to put on uh, the bar or how and how many reps you're going to do. But heavy, something under five for squat, something under five for deadlift uh, once a week in perpetuity. Never stop doing it. Change up the variations, change up how you're like how heavy it's going to be, change up the rep ranges, change up the rest, whatever it is change that, but do it every single week for forever. <laughs> if you really want to get into more, I would also recommend strict press. Um, that's a good, that's a good global strengthening exercise as well. Bench is okay. It's a little sport specific for powerlifting in general. Um, but you can, you can lift a, you can lift a ton of weight doing it. So you're going to get some sort of response, uh, for strength. So that's generally what I'd recommend. Um, on the women's side, it seems that the stronger the athlete, the better, the easier it is for them to come into high rocks and do particularly well. So if you're here and you're like, I just need to get better. I just need to get strong. I just need to like do more uh, high rocks work, like maybe, but there's going to be a point where you're going to plateau and where it seems to be on the women's end. It's on, on the strength side of things. So quick plug again for uh, coaching for Meg Jacoby. If you're interested in something like that, I know she is very well versed in the strength side of things, and also on the 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 tuning in the high rocks work. She's uh, a very high level programmer on that on that side of things. And if you're looking just for some group coaching, a lot of these a lot of these thoughts and thinking and uh, like kind of yeah thinkings. That's what I, that's the word I'm saying about this right now. The thinkings that I'm doing is uh, put right directly into uh, our group our group training program at Reinforced Running where you could, you could just get uh, a continuous progression with some of the newer things that I've been thinking about on, on, on the training side of things. So link in show notes for both of those things. Check that out. So something else I've been thinking about a little bit here is just kind of things that I've gone through uh, with uh, my training this week has been um, how to simulate like the, the simulating how that sled actually feels. And this is more on the program design side of things, right? Like the, a big question that we always, uh, th- that I get a lot and um, that I need to, to, to address often, I guess I should say, not that people are always asking me this kind of stuff, but you do high rock stuff. People ask you high rocks things. It's basically like, how much weight do I got to put on the sled? Is it really heavier than, than what it sounds like? Like what, what is this? Like, like how am I supposed to prepare for this sled? Uh, the, the unfortunate answer for like the actual sled push itself is that you just need to push it at a high rocks event. You need to feel what it's like. You need to feel what it does to you. And then whatever means you have to do it in a, at your gym setting or your training setting, your, your training situation, 
you just got to load up the weight until it feels like that. <laughs> like it could be a thousand pounds. It could be like 180 pounds. It, it's, it's very different from place to place. So it's hard to really say what's going to make the, the sled feel the way that it does. But once you do have the feeling from the race and you kind of figure out what that does feel like in a, uh, whatever your training situation is, that's the weight. that's the weight you're going to use. Okay. And one thing I found to be very effective when we're talking about high rock specific work, I know I just did this whole freaking monologue about how you do strength, you know, do strength first and then do your high rock stuff. But once you have your strength stuff figured out, or if you're just in season, it's like, there's no time to just work on like base of strength, even though you should do squats and deadlifts every single week for forever, all the time to never stop. Just keep going. You're never going to be too strong for this sport. So just like always just keep getting stronger all the time. Don't stop. Keep going. So but say you say you're in the competition sense and you want to get a good good feel for what that sled feels like. And this might be intuitive and it might be like, oh yeah, duh, dude. The skier directly into a sled push is an ass kicker. <laughs> it is it is as close to the feeling that I've gotten during a Hyrox event as I've been able to simulate in anything. And that's not necessarily meaning like run, ski, run, sled. It's ski directly into sled. And this is going to be a really good piece for a couple of reasons, right? Like one, just to get the stimulus, feel what it's going to feel like. And two, you can play around with what that ski, what the pace should be for you in this event. I think it lingers a lot around longer than we want to think. We kind of get into that zone. It's not that hard. It's we're super fresh. So it's easy to kind of just move through it. And then when you start going like, okay, the skier is behind me. You're not really thinking about what's happened to you on the skier as you get into the sleds. And I think it's, it's quite a bit. <laughs> I think that fatigue built in and not even more so than the runs leading into the sled. A lot of times after you do the sled, you're like, Oh, okay. Like I'm different now. <laughs> now I need to do the rest of this race after the sled. But I personally think it is the combination of the two, which again, might sound intuitive, it might be a duh, uh, but I think those two back to back. So an example of a workout would be like, I don't know, five rounds, uh, 750 is the bottom. I would go on this and probably 1500, probably be the top in terms of meters, 750 to 1500 meters of skiing directly into 25 to 50 meters of sled push as fast and like as fast and as hard as you can. And just really pushing that pace and, and kind of seeing where that is and increasing and in the, the ski, what it does, putting it directly in front of the sled, you can kind of play around with the pacing, right? That's kind of my point where I was getting at. You could see where that spot should be. I can give you some generalized ideas off of some anecdotal evidence that I've come across with people where your where your 2K is and where your uh, where most people where their ski erg is. But there's going to be a lot of variables up in the air that that might not be exactly where you should be. But practicing with that's what that sled feels like after the ski erg and the different paces is going to be the best way for you to figure out how fast to ski. And again, I know we, we want to bang the running, running sled, running sled. Uh, and there is definitely a place for that because running after that sled is very difficult, but it's even more difficult if you ski then sled, then run. That's another wrinkle to this. So if you wanted to expand on it even more, three to five reps, thousand meters ski, 25 to 50 meter sled push, then 
however long a run, 800 to a thousand meter, 800 to a mile, whatever. So you can kind of get that feeling of what it feels like to have this like global sense of fatigue, because that's really what it is. Then um, your heart rate is jacked up from the running and from the ski erg. And then you kind of have to get put in this scenario where you are forced to brace as hard as possible through your upper body and push very hard through your legs, cuts off a lot of that blood circulation make uh, with contracting that the, your muscles all the way throughout your body that it feels like you kind of like that you've exerted yourself in a tremendous way, which you have. So being able to run after that is definitely important, but knowing how to monitor that from the skier into the sled, I think is very important. And I say, push it as hard as you can in that place, just again, so you can work on your power output on the sled push and also to find that pacing piece because there is a pacing element to the sled, which most of us screw up early. But if you're going hard in practice and maybe doing a little bit less a volume of each push, you're going to develop a little bit more power there. And you're probably going to get a closer feeling of what it's like during the race than what you can typically do. And that's general, that's another reason why the race kind of whacks people so hard is that we're geared up already. We're ready to really hammer this thing. And we go too hard <laughs> and we go harder than what we can do in training and training. Like, all right, I got to push the sled. I'm pushing it, whatever. It's fine. And then you get into the race and your expectations are not met because of how much you've exerted yourself before. So skiing at some sort of race pace effort. And again, if you do want a guide for this, I think it's about, Mm, your 2k plus anywhere from i don't know seven to ten seconds per 500 slower so if your 2k pace for the ski is 155 i'd recommend doing uh between two uh i've screwed up my math now 202 and 205 that should probably put you in a pretty decent place with output uh of what of how of how it should feel so there's something else i've been thinking about i think it's a really great way to kind of simulate the the feeling of that sled and not necessarily the sled itself but the fatigue induced by the first two runs and a skier in a high rocks event put that sled directly behind ski, no run, no anything else, but just those two things, I think done intelligently, I would, will be really helpful for those early stations in Hyrox again. It might be a dub, but something I'm thinking about. Sometimes I think about things that are just like dub, bro. Last couple things I'm thinking about <clears throat> exercises that make it hard to breathe <laughs> and doing that, uh, after cardio, doing that after cardio machines and running, um, this could be something like a, f- a heavy front sandbag carry, uh, sandbag cleans, um, so like a heavy sandbag to shoulder, like a shoulder load. I think something like a yoke carry, uh, and honestly, and really I've, I've practiced, I played around with the GHD sit-ups and I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper into this at some point, but I'm still working on how these kind, these kind of efforts work in the sense of high rocks. And I think anything that's just going to make it really challenging to breathe is going to be really freaking helpful for high rocks because that's a lot of what we're doing. We're just doing stuff and different and pa- different movement patterns that are going to compromise our breathing. And the more familiar we can be and the more strategies we can come up with and resiliency we can build, the better it's going to be for our performance. So um, GHA sit-ups while, while in the middle of Metcon, impossible, super hard to breathe. Uh, and anything that's going to maybe sit up on 
in front of your body that's heavy. Um, this could be this could even be like heavy front squats, heavy cleans, heavy clean and jerks, uh, squat cleans, I should say. Um, these type of things are going to be really, really beneficial for uh, moving under duress and then having like this full exertion out there. And this is these are kind of things like if you're just getting sick of the eight movements, the ten eight movements in high rocks, ten movements in deca, and you want to kind of freshen it up a little bit. Think of it from that lens, like where is this going to make it harder for me to breathe <laughs> and not because of how fast you're going, like with running or rowing or skiing, like those things all make it harder to breathe, obviously, but it's your effort that puts it there and not necessarily something pushing against you or make, or, or actually the position that you're put in making it a more of a challenge to breathe, like literally something that is inhibiting. It could be your diaphragm. It could be your rib cage. It could be whatever it is. that's or like it could be constricting your blood flow body because it's a massive effort to flex all of your muscles. Like at once think about things from that lens, play around with it. I think it will be very helpful and also a good way to give you a little bit of variety in training. All right. So again, a lot of these things that I'm thinking of, they're going directly into the group coaching program. We also have 12-week training programs for Hyrox. We just released the 2023 Hyrox training program. The 2022 Hyrox training program still works. It's on sale right now. You can ticket that for uh, just $29 and the or $39. I'll have to check. You might you might just want to check. It could be either one. I can't I can't tell you because uh, I don't know. And the 2023 is $59. You get 12 weeks, all of the new stuff, the proven stuff, the stuff that I'm cooking up that's working. And I'm not telling you this is the way to get better at high rocks, but it's a way. And it's a way that is, that's starting to suss its way into the, the proven side of things. You know, it might not work for everyone to the same extent, but it works for most people. And most people are getting some pretty good results from it. So take a look at that down below. Group coaching as well. Uh, if you're interested in working with Meg Jacoby, give me a shout and we'll see if that would be a good match for ya. Talk to you soon.